You're listening to Well Made, a podcast from Lumi about the people and ideas behind your favorite online brands. I'm your host, Stefan Ango. Nellie Cohen, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. So you are the Warnware Manager at Patagonia. That is a program that Patagonia has been doing for a few years now, right? When, when was Warnware launched, actually? Warnware really um, originated in 2005. That was the year that we launched our textile recycling program. We were actually the first brand to create a closed-loop product, and we worked with a mill in Japan called Tejin and their proprietary process called EcoCircle. And so we started in 2005 by asking our customers to bring back any of their polyester, Patagonia polyester garments. That's the, the very initial origins of Warnware. And at the time, the program was called the Common Threads uh, Recycling Program. And uh, it was a really interesting experience. If, you, if it's okay to go ahead and keep elaborating on that. Go for it. Yeah. I would assume people know about Patagonia and, you know, for, for its entire history since it started has always been, you know, on the forefront of sustainability and repair as part of that. Warnware is, is focused on reusing, repairing, and, and trading in your Patagonia products, right? Is that a fair way to describe it? Yeah. You know, we've been around for 45 years. We started as a company that made climbing equipment. We started in Ventura, California. We're still located here. And uh, today we don't make climbing equipment anymore, but we, we do make plenty of clothing for outdoor pursuits and that lifestyle as well. Just in case people aren't familiar. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure 99.9% of people will know. <laughs> I am surprised sometimes. Really? Yeah, well. even I have met people in Ventura who don't know what Patagonia is, so <laughs> go figure. Well, that's good. It means you still have some, some customers to, to find out there. Exactly, exactly. I said, yeah, it's, it's a good thing. So with Warnware, you got involved, it sounds like, basically since the beginning of it. Yeah, well, in 2005, I was in between undergrad and grad school, and I was working at one of our independently owned outdoor retail shops. And I remember Patagonia shipping us this recycling box. And I was like, oh, man, that's so cool that this company is taking back their clothing to be recycled. And um, my experience that box over the couple years that I worked at that store was that they didn't get anything. One employee put, you know, some old base layers, um, like long underwear in that box, and that was it. So, you know, we kept it out on the sales floor because it's an interesting story for sure. And I wound my way to Patagonia after grad school and landed in our environmental department around 2011. And that was the year that we had published the sort of famous, I guess, humbly, I'll say humbly famous, people in sustainability circles are familiar with the advertisement in the New York Times on Black Friday. It said, don't buy this jacket. And really the fine print on that was saying, you know, if you need a jacket, that's great you know, buy the best quality jacket you can. But ultimately, like everything that goes into this jacket is so much more than you realize. So if you're not in need, don't spend the resources to do it. And that was really this very pivotal moment for what was still called Common Thread. So kind of going back to that, you know, what's the origins of Warnware? When did Warnware start? So it had been five or six years that the program had just been focused on recycling garments. And my personal experience with that bin 
was characteristic of the whole program. We really didn't get much back. And that's when we really learned that Patagonia's commitment to quality really rings true. Like our stuff is not made to be recycled. And so that ad was offering a partnership with our customers to take mutual responsibility for the things that Patagonia was making and that they were purchasing from us. That responsibility was to see the product through its end of life, to see it be used to its maximum ability. And to that extent, we, we partnered with eBay that year. And we offered our customers an opportunity to sign what we called the Common Threads Pledge. And we were shifting away now from this recycling program to including more ours, so reuse. Reusing items through reselling them on eBay. And when they signed this pledge, we actually cross-listed the items that were posted for sale by Common Threads pledges. Um, we put them on patagonia.com, and they were also featured on the Common Threads store, storefront on eBay. That was also the first time we talked about our repair service, which we had, we had had since the inception of the company, effectively. We had always been repairing things, but we had, hadn't really talked about it in a public way, aside from our guarantee, our ironclad guarantee has always said, you know, we'll, we'll replace or repair the product. But we didn't really formally say, hey, we actually have this repair center that can handle all this stuff. So we gave our customers all these opportunities, send it in for repair, sell it on eBay, or, you know, continue to recycle it if it's truly worn out. And so that was like the full sort of the full buffet came out in 2011. And and then that's kind of when I joined the department there. And after that ad, we all kind of went, okay, like now what are we going to do? And then things started happening very organically we started seeing um, a huge double-digit year-over-year increase in the amount of repairs we were getting in our repair center. I think when I started then around 2011, when that ad came out, we probably had on the order of like 10 to 15 people working in our repairs department. And today we'll have 80 to 90 in our peak season. So that that was a boom. The eBay program was super successful for quite a while, for a couple years. But around 2013, we were still really struggling with like how to like truly reach more people. Like like they've signed this pledge, they're sort of in this club, but like what are they really getting out of it? And at that time, uh, Lauren and Keith Malloy, Keith Malloy is one of Patagonia's surf ambassadors, and his wife Lauren had started this blog called Warnware. And it was just, you know, very simply and very beautifully articulating the meaning that Patagonia clothes have to their owners. And uh, I reached out to Lauren and I said, like, this is really the heart of what we're trying to do with Common Threads. Like, would you be willing to work together on this and she like was amazing and said absolutely like let's do it and so it took a little while um, for us to kind of figure out the positioning but ultimately we decided to remove the common threads brand and sort of make the program a little bit simpler to our customers we had had kind of some other options that just and other R's under the whole reduce reuse recycle mantra we said okay Warnware is repairing your stuff. Warnware is reusing your stuff. And Warnware is responsibly recycling your stuff when you're no longer done with it. But ultimately, like the heart of Warnware is celebrating the stories we wear. It's kind of the line that we came up with. These are the, you know, these are the stories we wear of our clothing. And our in-house film team and Keith Moyne and his brothers 
Dan and Chris made this beautiful film that we shared, I believe it was 2014 on Black Friday as three years later, the follow-up to that ad. So Warner's about five years old this year. A lot has happened since then, but I'll pause here because that's, <laughs> that's sort of the history that gets us to fairly present moment. Well, we'll, we'll put the, the, the original ad, the 2011 ad, in the show notes so that people can see it if they haven't. It makes me feel so old that it was in 2011 because it feels so brand new to me still. And then last year there was, I think, probably one of the most successful campaigns I've seen from Patagonia in a long time with uh, our, our president stole our land uh, website. I forget how it was phrased exactly, um, but that was not part of that. That was probably a, a different division at, at Patagonia that, that launched that one. Yeah, but I th- I think, um, you know, the company has a history of being provocative without being showy, you know, trying to trying to get people to see the the seriousness of our world's issues, but without being total downers. <laughs> right. At the same time, because I don't think, you know, finger wagging at anybody makes anybody want to participate in a movement. You know, it has to be inclusive. It has to be fun. Yeah, it wasn't part of Warner, but it was an amazing, um, you know, and it's been and continued. You know, we're still working on saving our public lands, too. It's still a, a main story and effort around here. Yeah, so we'll, we'll put links to all of those so that people can check it out. And I mean, I think that since the, the, the inception of the company, there's always been a focus on educating customers educating the world through, you know, originally like the catalogs and then ads. And then, you know, most recently I I read the book by Yvonne Chouinard, uh, Let My People Go Surfing. So it's like expanding in every sort of different way to teach people about these values, which are so, which are so important. And, and Wardenware, I think is a very practical embodiment of that because it's things that you can actually do. <laughs> like right. you can actually go to this website and now over the past few months you've been launching the e-commerce side of that. Can you explain a little bit about what that is? So we decided, you know, after working with eBay and kind of learning a lot there and and I think I mean, again, feeling old like 2011 eBay and maybe to some extent Craigslist, but by far eBay was like the only player in this reuse on, you know, e-commerce reuse business. And now look around us, you know, it seems like everywhere you look, there's a way to purchase used clothing. So it's really great to see the industry or the sector grow over time. I know like all these reports from ThreadUp and stuff are showing that used clothing thrift is going to outpace retail growth. So it's very exciting to see that happening. Um, But we ultimately wanted to own that experience for our customers and so last year we launched the the resale reuse portion of Warnware. And so what we're doing is we're purchasing clothing back from our customers that functions perfectly and is in at least good condition. And uh, we clean it and we put it up for sale on warnware.com. And um, it's definitely a deep discount too. So uh, it's been great. It's been really successful. We haven't talked a lot about it yet. Launching a business like this, we've been learning just a lot along the way. And so now I feel like we're in a position where um, we're ready to go forth in a, in a bigger way and, and speak about it more with our customers. The trade-in aspect of that, the, the inventory supply side, you know, purchasing things back from people has been 
really popular. Uh, a lot of our customers have been purchasing Patagonia for a long time. They, you know, perhaps don't do the original sport that the product was intended for and they don't have as much use for it or they're just really tired of the color <laughs> the thing lasted too long and you didn't really think you're going to be stuck with a like purple fleece for your entire life so there's far more customers sitting at home going gosh like I know I could probably take this back to Patagonia they take anything back but there's really nothing wrong with it and so it creates this incredible conversation in our retail stores between Patagonia and its customers to say, hey, we get it. Like, you're tired of it. No problem. Let us take it off your hands. We're going to give you, you know, a credit. And that credit can be used in the stores. It can be used on Patagonia.com, but it can also be used on Warnware.com. So people can buy something used. They don't necessarily have to buy something new with it, which is a really important part of the program. Um, so that's been a huge boon and for the company. And um, it's also a great way to get people into our brand who can't afford Patagonia. So I, I actually, I'm very curious about the, the specifics of this. Yeah. So people can return or trade in at the stores. Can they also ship their, their products back in? Not yet. We're, we're figuring out the logistics of that. We absolutely know it's critical to the long-term success of the program. But um, we definitely launched this thing sort of the Patagonia way, like low, low investment in technology, a lot of good people behind it, and sort of hand to mouth. So uh, there is no secret behind what we're doing, essentially. Uh, it's a hand sorting process. We do have some back-end support through a company called Yurtle Recommerce that's based in San Francisco that uh, we invested in in 2014 when they were pursuing a different kind of marketplace. They take the products off our hands after they've been cleaned and permanently stamped. We actually add a stamp hmm. into our garments. We wanted to ensure that any of the products that are sold through Warnware still offer the exact same level of customer service that somebody who would buy a full price Patagonia product. Like once you're in the club, you're in the club. No matter where you bought it, you're part of our family and we're going to serve you the same way. At what point do, do they determine or do you determine the, the value that the trade-in has? That's a great question. So um, because we're just doing this, you know, people-to-people -people interactions, we had to create a system that was very trainable across our retail stores. Uh, so that means training hundreds of people on the system. And well, we have our, we have our minimum quality standards, right? But we basically just give away uh, the credits based on what the item is. And you, you can actually download a PDF on what this is on oneware.com. So unfortunately at this time, like we can't offer a greater credit for that down sweater that's in really good condition versus the down sweater that's in okay condition, you know, passable condition. Again, I think that's another long-term goal of the program is to become more nuanced, you know, with how we're, how we're um, distributing the credits, the trade-in credits. But it's, it's easy and it's clear and it's very teachable to say, you know, this bucket of products, the trading value was $40, this bucket at 70 you know, onward, onward. So um, that's how we do it. It's, it's very simple. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and once that item comes into your repair center, I mean, you have over the years made so many different SKUs, you know, different colors, different garments, different sizes. Is there a pretty broad range of types of repairs that need to be done? How do you sort that and decide 
you know, where things go or what's the process there? Yeah. So, um, the stuff that we take in for trade-in, we ask that it doesn't need a repair because our repairs department is so impacted. They have so much demand. Our demand exceeds our ability to repair, to be quite frank with you. But how we kind of handle that on the the repair side, and I'm not an expert here, we try to tackle the sort of easiest repairs first. You know, if you get stuck doing a very difficult repair, you might sacrifice the time it takes to do six small repairs. Mm. And so, you know, it's kind of easier to hold off on that more difficult one and, you know, stoke out the six customers that sent their jacket in. And we have a huge trims library on hand. So by trims, I'm talking about zippers, um, Velcro, patch material, you know, all the, the cord locks, um, you know, all the sort of like bells and whistles on your jacket, right? Um, besides the main body fabric. And we literally have a library of those. So when an item comes in for repair, we, um, we can identify what that item is. There's a style number, season, and a color on the, your uh, garment tag. You could look inside there and probably kind of figure out what it is. And uh, we can look back in our database, our, our uh, product line management database, and know what trims we need and pull those out of the library, and they get attached to that jacket. And so then when it reaches the, the repair tech in our repairs department, they're sitting there with the, you know, the car that says this is what's wrong, the trims are ready to go, and actually we have a, a prep step in between too. So somebody's um, probably already removed, say, the broken zipper or something. So then it just gets fixed and back out to our customers as, as fast as we can. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so that's so cool. And I think, you know, it's um I don't know how many people have had to to solve that logistical problem, but I, I imagine that it's uh it's not a really common process to have to solve for. And I think it's it's fascinating to see how you've done it. With the store that you launched for Warnware, is the goal there to make that profitable? Do you think of it more like it, it needs to break even and it, it's part of our values as a company? Or what's the what's the goal there from a like a revenue standpoint? Yeah, our goal is to make it profitable. You know, Patagonia as a whole has always tried to perform like a publicly held company in the sense that we are profitable. And I think that proves our model that, you know, you can do well by doing good. It takes away any excuses right. that any other company can say, oh, you know, Patagonia does, oh, they're privately held or, you know, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Like, we're going to do this. We're going to, you know, give away through 1% for the planet. Warnware is going to be profitable. We are going to make money selling used clothing. I think, you know, our long-term strategy, we're really seriously thinking about, you know, how can we be regenerative in nature? How can we make products with the smallest footprint possible? Could we have a carbon cap at Patagonia? We just had a, a, a case study, um, and the winning team suggested, why don't you guys cap your, why don't you cap it? You know, and that would push us to sell a greater, proportionally, like a greater percent of worn-wear products to contribute to our bottom line and, you know, products with the smallest footprint possible or um, fewer maybe pinnacle products that are really performance-oriented but have, maybe have a larger footprint. So, you know, we're thinking about all that, and worn-wear is absolutely part of that strategy. And we definitely, we were profitable the first year, and we're continuing, we have, you know, we are going to grow it that will really prove to any other company out there that this is possible and it's good for your bottom line and it's good for the planet. And kind of, There's no excuses, basically. 
Yeah. I'm curious when you sort of started designing uh, the the actual like mechanism for returning and trading in products, how how does that work? Because presumably, I mean, Patagonia is a, is a large company. How did you actually approach the retail team on uh, here's a new training process that we need to implement? How does how does that work when you're launching something new at Patagonia like this? Oh, yeah. Um, well, this was a really... A huge team effort, and the call came from the upper echelons of the company that this was something that we wanted to do. So, in my experience here, like that's what really works best is when the green light comes from the top, and everybody can kind of feel they can follow suit. And I think it's funny. I was just thinking about this the other day. It's not that people don't want to help you, that they don't believe in your mission. But everybody has a lot on their plates. Everybody has their own goals they're trying to meet. And when a project pops up that maybe wasn't on their radar, it's hard for people to, like, shift directions, right? You know, I mean, they're they're busy busy folks. And, yeah, and so what was great was to have the support of our CEO. And she was the one who said, let's do this. And, you know, it's okay. Like, you you can turn away from maybe your other task and put some time towards this. And so not only our retail team, but, you know, our e-commerce teams and gosh, there were so many people, our our distribution center teams, so many hands that had to like lift to make this come to life. And in particular, our retail teams have a great, um, a great couple folks that are in charge of training and anything new that comes out to the store, be it like you know, a campaign that you mentioned earlier to something operational, it goes through them and they have a system of disseminating information to our store employees. So that, that was how we did that one piece of it. I'm, I'm looking this up as we speak. How many people work at Patagonia today? It's like thousands or something. We're like about, yeah, about 700 people in our corporate office in Ventura. And then I think like another 600 or so in our distribution center in Reno, then, and and that's just kind of U.S. operations plus retail, plus uh, we have smaller, but again, corporate offices in Europe, Japan, Latin America. So we're, (laughs) yeah, we're, it's, and it's growing, it's growing quickly. Yeah. So I, so I just think about that in, in the context of, you know, how you're describing building out this program and, I think that it just seems from the outside, at least, that you know everyone at Patagonia seems quite aligned on, on the goals of the company and, and making sustainability such an important part of it. But when you have something like this where you know, you're saying that profits are important to the Warnware program, but you're saying part of it is that we need to make sure that we're collecting things properly through the stores that introduces a new cost to the to the retail store because they have to spend time with the customers who are coming in and walk them through how it's going to work. And so the the decision that you're making on your side to implement this new program has an effect on a different team who might be tracking their their metrics in a different way. And I just I find it fascinating that I mean you you sort of described this coming from the top, but I'm I'm curious if there's anything about the culture of Patagonia or the the functional organization of Patagonia that allows you as a company to develop these new systems that are like cross team that, that that rely on a lot of teams collaborating together. Yeah. That's a great question. I think um when I started with Patagonia, I actually started in our retail group. I was actually hired originally for six weeks to work the holiday season, like on the sales floor. And so I've kind of seen the company from from various 
um, vantage points. And I think we've gotten by for so many years on really good people. You know, we have relatively low turnover in our retail stores compared to probably regular retail. We have people that are just so passionate about working here that they will take on these extra projects. And I think we're getting a lot better about leveraging technology, but um, and that's like helping us in many ways. But I feel like for a long time, it was just really strong, competent, dedicated workforce. You know, and that still exists. I'm just saying those people now have some good tools in their back pockets to to take to the next level. You know, we we knew that there there's a lot of issues around that brands could face starting this kind of reuse program. So you kind of have to address each group, you know, one by one and air those fears and air those concerns and validate them because they are valid, you know, and you don't know what you don't know. You know, you kind of got to try things and see if the data proves it this way or that way. And that's, that's a little bit what we're doing right now. So what I'm talking about there specifically is like, in retail, yes, we're asking them to do a new operation. We're asking them to train people, and yet you hit, you know, you characterize it perfectly. This is a lot to ask. But the advantage is they're getting traffic into their stores. And today, when, you know, I mentioned earlier, is, is retail a dying industry? I don't know if dying is the right word. Some the other day I was talking to you characterize it as a transitioning industry, and I think that's that's a better way of putting it. But at the end of the day, you want people walking through your doors in retail, and so this is one more reason that you can come into a Patagonia store. And then in the same breath, you are issuing somebody a credit that could be used in their store. So you're right. putting somebody in a store with, with money. <laughs> that's, that's a good thing for that team. Um, so that has to work for them. And, and you have to you know, do all this stuff so it, so it does work, right? Um, let's talk about the same thing for, for e-commerce, right? You're now putting things on a website that are effectively the same things for, for a company like Patagonia, where we've been making the same product for 30, 45 years, like iconic products, like um, a snap tee pullover or down sweater or a nano puff. I mean, we have plenty of those for sale on patagonia.com. So when you put these used products on a new website next to it, like there's fear of cannibalization, but we are also able to identify the one where customers is a younger customer that probably right now isn't able to afford to buy full price Patagonia items. And so the way that person is participating in our brand is outside of our um, direct to customer walls, right? They're maybe finding something at a local thrift store, which is awesome. Um, but maybe they're shopping eBay or, you know, a super deep discounter somewhere else on the web and like through Warnware, we can now bring that customer into our customer base. And so that's kind of the carrot there for like an e-commerce team, right? Is saying, well, hey, at least at least you're gonna get this data now, this purchase information and, and things. So and we can talk to these people directly. Yeah. That you have to find a reason to help everybody's business when you're introducing a new business. I, I think of Patagonia as being very innovative as a business in terms of always pushing the boundaries of, uh, you know, especially these sustainability initiatives. You said technology is an area where you're trying to continue improving things. But I guess you mentioned ThreadUp earlier. Do you have a chance to look outwards at other companies that are doing interesting things that inspire you? Or is it challenging to be 
so unique. Like, there's not that many people doing what Patagonia does as a company. So does that make it harder, I guess, is my question. Right. And in all honesty, like, I used to spend a lot of time looking externally, um, especially as we were, like, building or considering thinking about building this e-commerce business. And now that it's built, I'm kind of just like heads down, keeping it going. Yeah. But, but yeah, like in the beginning, like looking at uh thread up or Poshmark, even the buy, sell trade Facebook groups, you know, organized by parents for their kids, Patagonian clothing. There's a lot of action there, a lot of movement. And I mean, at the end of the day, we just, we want these, we make these things such high quality, such incredible durability, like, they just shouldn't sit in anybody's closet or garage going unused. So ultimately, like, it's good for the planet if there's liquidity, you know, if, if things are moving around and being used to their maximum value and lifetime. But yeah, there's not there's not a ton of other people doing it. I would say our big inspiration, and, and we've traded a lot of learnings back and forth, is actually with Eileen Fisher. Hmm. Uh, that company and also REI um, are partnering with... Yertle as well to to do their backends, just similarly to ours, not exactly the same. But um, I've learned a lot through the years with wonderful people from Eileen Fisher who, you know, opened their uh, their distribution centers to and said the same thing that I said on this podcast. There's no magic here. Like, we're just sorting used clothing. We're washing it. You know, that's what we're doing, which has been fun. The other great player in this space is the Renewal Workshop. And they have a lot of brand partnerships going and they, they're cropping up all over the place. And it's exciting to see, I I just bought a yoga mat the other day for my husband. And when I was checking out on this, on the Manduka site said, Hey, do you want to include like a free, you know, return, return your yoga mat thing? We buy in this new yoga mat, we'll send it to renewal workshop. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that's so cool that the renewal workshop is in working with yoga companies. And, you know, they're working with, um, homewares with Koyuchi fabrics and, uh, they just launched with the North face. So they're getting a lot of brands on board too. So I don't know if that really answer doesn't make it harder. I I think I love problem solving. So for me in a day-to-day existence in my job, like it doesn't really matter too much to me if we're the only one or one of a few. Like I just want Warnware to be the very, very best experience for buying used Patagonia clothing on the internet. Yeah, I think maybe where my question came from was actually from the book, Let My People Go Surfing. And I think the the thing that I got out of that that I enjoyed the most was the idea that what Yvonne wanted Patagonia to become more than anything was just an example, like as a company, that beyond making these various products, being an example of what a good company should be like was what he was trying to build. And I think that's the part that gets hard because if you are trying to put yourself at that level and like really raise expectations from your employees, from your customers, from what other companies uh, have to look at as a role model, you're automatically sort of putting yourself in a category that is, first of all, you don't have very many other role models to look at, which is like difficult. And then you're in a position where it's easy to like disappoint. And I, and I wonder how um, people at Patagonia deal with that. Right, right. And then there's, I don't, I don't know, I think it's in that section. This is like leading the exam in life is a pain in the ass. Yeah. I, I feel like, and maybe I'm just in the bubble at this point, but like if we're not in that position, if we're not, you know, the innovator, if we're not problem solving, if we're not 
taking a hard look at ourselves and going, wow, we're making a lot of stuff. We should probably make sure it's all being used well. How are we going to solve for that? If we're not doing that, I don't think we're doing our job in the industry. Yeah. <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but again, that might be from the bubble. <laughs> no, it, it, it's good. I think it's good to sort of raise expectations. And when you raise those expectations, it, it's better to, <laughs> like, I guess maybe I'm just a masochist, but, it, you know, I'd rather disappoint people and have high expectations than everybody just looking at you and saying, yep, it's just that old crappy thing. Uh, right. And like giving up on everything. That, that's just not a very optimistic outlook on the world. Totally. I mean, like we could have delayed the launch of, an, of this Warnware e-commerce site, right? Like you've asked some great questions and, and all I can tell you is like, yeah, we have, you know, a chart that tells you how much to give a customer, right? Like, and we publish that online. You know, we don't have a fancy smancy system that says, oh, this, this item is worth $12.49 for like Hey, it's 10 bucks, um, <laughs> yeah. you know, take it or leave it. You know, we, we are managing our inventory in Excel. We could have waited and we could have had ability, you know, from the get go for people to mail in things to us to trade them in. Like we could have delayed it by three years, but like, let's not let, I think this is a very Patagonia outlook. We all share here. Let, as much as we are perfectionists, we also don't let it get in the way of good. Right. And it's like, we could launch this thing really fast not totally perfect, but function, you know, functioning pretty darn smoothly. Again, a lot of work to do, but for the most part, we feel like our customers are having pretty good experience, you know, from, from some of the surveying and things we've done. Um, and we are keeping things in use longer. So, and we did that this, you know, last year instead of waiting till 2019, 20 or 21. So, you know, we'll get there. We will get those better things in place and it will only become better and better and smoother and smoother. But I'm glad we just went out there and tried and we're learning and picking ourselves up and trying and learning again. I think, I mean, I think that's a great philosophy and it shows, this is something that I hear all the time from small companies, which is, you know, they are startups, they're just trying to survive. And so, it's kind of like, you know, when you are on a plane and it's the like safety instructions say like, put your mask on before you help somebody else. Like I think a lot of um, small companies feel that way that they maybe can't have as much impact because, you know, they are just literally trying to survive. Um, But it's not going to get easier when you become a big company like Patagonia is today to introduce these new initiatives. You kind of have to build them in from the beginning and you have to do the best you can at every stage. And, you know, you're starting something new. Well, you, you have with, with Warnware in itself and starting it small, even within the context of a big company seems like the right thing to do. Yeah. I mean, I always think, you know, we have the best and worst worlds. Like we are a startup. And so we have a lot of the same issues as, as startups. Like, you know, we don't have access to as much funding. We're not as well established, but, you know, we have this amazing big brother Patagonia. I mean, the only reason that Warnware exists, I just have to say too, is because of the quality of our clothing. So like, that's, that's a pretty huge help. But yeah, we also have those challenges of like trying to steer what would be a very small and nimble ship on its own in a larger, our larger ship. So yeah, there's those, those sort of internal workthroughs that you have to go through to get everybody on board. And, but at the end of the day, like just on that point, I think that the program becomes stronger, like the more feedback you get and then 
there's a lot of wise people who have been around the block a few times here who can really help shape Warmware into something better. I want to end on one topic here, which is just, you know, we've been sort of talking around it, but I'm curious, how has e-commerce changed Patagonia as a company? And what are you seeing in terms of the shifting way that sustainability fits into the supply chain? Because, you know, retail versus e-commerce is is quite a different things in terms of how things are delivered to people. What are you seeing there? Obviously, you're on an e-commerce side of that equation with the with the Warnware store. Do you all talk about that uh, as like a bigger focus? You know, from where I sit, what I see at least, um, it seems to be a pretty equal dedication to both areas. I think Patagonia, um, and this was really a vision of the Chenards very early on, that our retail stores should be gifts to our community. They should be gathering places. They should be rallying points. They should be places not just where people can buy Patagonia, but they can experience the brand through events, you know. And so obviously, Warnware, we have a... We have tours across the world now that we're repairing clothing and, and having that experience. But our stores are hosting not just like yoga classes, but they're also having environmental nonprofits, like local nonprofits coming in and educating the community about environmental issues in their area. So these stores are so multidimensional now, and we're seeing growth in those areas. You know, we just opened a store in Pittsburgh like a little while ago. I mean, like our, our retail footprint is, is growing. But we also, in the same breath, acknowledge that people want to shop online. And you have to have an amazing experience in that way, too. Um, You know, as being going back to this conversation we had earlier about, you know, the startup versus like what size you are. I'm looking at it, you know, obviously, Warnware has a much smaller inventory to draw from than Patagonia right now, but hopefully, we'll be a very good sized chunk of that overall inventory. But I like e-commerce is the way to go. Our stores are are small in footprint. They're unique. They can't really afford the space to put garments in them that have already been in that space once before. You know, main, making sure that you're well stocked in sizes of used clothing across a network of retail stores is challenging. We at one point had Warnware going actually in about eight stores. It's doable for sure. But it's pretty nice to have it all on one website, to have that selection all in one place for people, too. And there is that same, like, element of brand experience. You can integrate content and you can start an online conversation with people. We have an amazing OneWare community on Instagram. Um, we can build that up, you know, potentially through email. I mean, there's there's amazing online tools as well to use. So I think it's a multi-pronged approach to continuing the conversation with our customers. There's just different ways to reach different people in different places. Yeah. I would be remiss if I didn't mention these this amazing uh, blog post. So it's at least amazing to us uh, at Lumi because it, it, it gets mentioned pretty regularly that you wrote um, almost four years ago now with... Uh, one of your colleagues, we'll put a link to it. It's it's called A Study on the Challenges of Garment Delivery. And it talks about, I guess, some of your customers having been questioning the use of poly bags to deliver the the garments. I, I'm not sure if this was Warnware related or something else, but maybe you can just give a high-level explanation of what that investigation was all about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, 
like I love our customers and I know some, I don't know, customers is the right word, but our Patagonian community is so responsive and they never hesitate to tell us exactly what we're doing right or wrong. And I really mean that in both ways. We get love letters and hate mail. And so this came out of um, our customers being really frustrated with receiving every Patagonia garment in a plastic bag. I know we were speaking about this before we kind of hit record, but um, both of us having, you know, scientific training. And so we, we really used like the scientific method to, to write a study and, and had several hypotheses about if this like yes or no, would this work or not? And what we came to at the end of the day is that plastic bags, poly bags are critical for our distribution center. Um, we run on conveyor belts and when we ran our, our products outside of the poly bags, they were marked in an unsellable condition and the impact of having to recycle a full garment versus the impact of making a poly bag, there's no contest. So it's a little bit of the forest through the trees. Like you hate to say, yeah, plastic's really necessary, but then they plastic, at least some form of coverage is really necessary. Um, we tried paper mailers too, I should say that, and they didn't survive as well as the plastic. But we are correct in the process still. It's a long, it's a kind of a long, we're talking about training retail stores, but this is about training factories. So the, at the end of the day, we learned that we could fold our things so much smaller. We're talking about folding things, you know, two thirds smaller, reducing that plastic um, by a considerable percentage. So it's like, if we're going to use plastic, let's use the absolute smallest amount of plastic possible. And what was really cool about that finding is that of course people immediately went well gosh what if we squish the garments and what if we wrinkle them and all this stuff well we turned to our retail teams this is a great like retail e-commerce partnership kind of thing and um, we learned in our very very small stores that they actually roll products and tape them because they need to preserve as much backstock space as possible and then we also learned that all of our garments are, ste- you know, steamed on the floor. So anything that really gets wrinkled um, badly will be taken care of right away. And so that gave us the confidence to go forth with that recommendation that items could be packed much, much smaller, reduce the plastic, but keep them in plastic. So it's kind of like we had to strike that balance. I kind of thought when we started the project that we would be able to get rid of the plastic. You know, I... And then when we did it, it was like, no, this is, we're going to waste so many more of the world's resources if we're not throwing away, but if we're, you know, recycling or like setting aside products that are getting marred so badly on a conveyor belt that they're not sellable. Yeah. And then the other finding was that we can work with our supply chain to pack things in like more efficiently pack things. We found a lot of boxes that were barely full and there'll be a huge cost savings on the other side of that, which is that if we know all of our boxes in our distribution center are full of product, it means we're maximizing space. You know, we're not paying to store air effectively. So there are a ton of like great learnings that came out of that. Yeah. What, I mean, what I loved about the study was first of all, what you mentioned, which is it tickled all my geeky science, you know, tickle points or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> um, like it, it, uh, because you know, you approached it in, in this manner and tried to like provide a few hypotheses of what you were trying to go after. It was very open, you know, it's, it's rare that people get to see kind of the inside of how you're making these decisions and doing it at a large scale so that you actually have, you know, good sample data, good actual, like <laughs> at scale, uh, information to share. And so, 
and the and the answer is nuanced, and that's the thing that I think we always struggle with um, at Lumi in particular, but in general around sustainability, which is. Is it better to use a box or a poly mailer? Is it better to use a paper mailer versus a poly mailer? The answer is like, it depends on the situation. And, you know, maybe if you didn't have this conveyor belt system, things would be different. Like there's a lot of factors going on. And so the answers are always so unsatisfying because they're always, you know, gray. They're not like, you should do this or that. It's like, well, you know, it depends. It depends, yeah. <laughs> but it also creates opportunities, right? Like, this, yeah, it is case by case. And like, and and then just being able to, like, convey that information of, like, why as a business you've decided to go with, you know, option A over B and C or whatever it is, you know. And hopefully people, yeah, start to kind of understand that, like, the forest through the trees and and yes, your stuff came in a plastic bag, but aren't you glad it arrived like intact? And I've heard over the years um, from our customer service team in, in Reno where our distribution center is that they will um, share the link to this, to the blog post with people when they get these angry letters and they're like, here it all is, you know, because if somebody's willing to take the time to write you and tell you, you know, what a poor job they think you're doing, hopefully they'll actually take the time to read your answer, you know, your rebuttal to that. But yeah, then it just sort of reminded me like I, this is like a whole other podcast, of course. But um, <laughs> we'll you know, do a part talking two. About, <laughs> talking about like recyclability of plastics too, of yeah. course, and how that's changing now with China's import ban. And I mean, the, the landscape is constantly changing. And I think that's kind of a neat place that we're in in sustainability overall as, a, as an industry is that I feel like um, sustainability practitioners are starting to f- feel like they're working in more of like a dynamic place rather than being like, okay, you know, let's check these boxes. Let's get a recycling program for our products. Let's, uh, you know, reduce our packaging or whatever. Like it, it's shifting constantly and the world is changing so quickly and staying really informed about you know, what's going on and constantly questioning yourself, like leading that exam in life. Is our messaging on point? Like, are we really driving people to make the choice we want them to make? Are we, are we giving them options and that are as easy as, you know, the alternative and, and keeping them, making it easy for them to make, make those decisions. So. Cool. So if people want to learn more about Warnware, they can go to warnware.patagonia.com. Is there anything else you want to point people to? No, I mean, I think I'll be pointing people towards this podcast. I think we've given up um, all of our secrets here. So <laughs> I, get, I do get a lot of inquiries on how we do it. And now everybody knows there's no magic in how we do it. And if people want to find out uh, more about you, do you, do you uh, share more on, on social media or anything like that that people can look at? The best place to learn a lot more about Warnware and really join the community in the spirit is um, our Warnware Instagram at Warnware. Um, and warnware.com and we are always happy to engage in conversations on warnware instagram there cool pull out the stuff that's in your in your closet bring it over to the store get yourself some some new color schemes some new uh some new new old traded in worn clothes from from warnware.com thank you so much nelly this was awesome Oh gosh, this was really fun. No, I, and I'm really serious. I, I am going to tell people to go listen to the podcast. I don't have to. This is probably going to save me like a call a week now. Great. We'll do. We'll do a part two on the next set of questions that people have after that one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. 
If you enjoyed the show, if you got something useful out of it, I would love to hear what that was. Consider writing a short review, could be just a sentence long, by going to iTunes and searching for Well Made. I want to hear it all. I want to hear good, bad. I want to hear your constructive criticisms. I am just trying to make this show as useful as possible for you. So tell us what you think. That is the very best way that you can support the show. Thanks, and see you next time.